What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Kalen Wojcik, and today uh, we got Philip Vallejo and Mr. Cody Carroll with us, and um, we're going to be talking about some more hunts. We're going to talk about Cody's experience taking his son hunting in Colorado, and um, it's going to be another good episode because these are all excellent lessons learned. Um, so if you guys are, um, coming back, uh, as return listeners, thank you guys so much for being, um, uh, loyal followers and listeners. And for those of you guys who are just now joining us, welcome to the modern day sniper podcast. And this podcast is dedicated to the journey of the rifleman. And if you guys are anything like the three of us, we are constant students of our craft because we learn something new about this every single day. And whether you are a professional military or law enforcement sniper, uh, competitor, uh, long range shooting enthusiast, or a, uh, a technical or precision uh, hunter, this is the podcast for you. So welcome everybody. And what's up, Cody? How's it going, dude? It's going great, man. How are you doing? Um, just, I'm actually trying to like get, I'm, I'm hanging on to hunting mode right now. I've still got, I still got a bear tag to fill and I've got an elk tag to fill. And, um, but I know that I got to get back to work and start doing like real shit. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I, um, have a, a doe tag that runs till November 30th. So I'm kind of waiting until it gets a little bit colder down here. It's, um, for the same area that I live in, but yeah, I'm holding on to that one too. And just try to still, riding on this last experience that uh, I got to share with my son, which was pretty special. Yeah. It's um, I got to, I got to take my kid hunting this year too. We, we, um, we didn't actually tag anything, but it was really awesome to take uh take an 11 year old up into the mountains and, and, you know, kind of show him actually it wasn't, he was, he was 10 at the time, but it was just um, I can't imagine I can't wait for that day that that, you know, that that experience will come that we get to share together. And you guys had that, which is awesome. Landon's already had a great season. He shot a, he shot a velvet buck with a bow this year. That was badass. Yeah, that was super cool. So I was actually in Hawaii teaching a a jungle warfare course and he sent me that picture. I was like, what the hell? (laughs) But yeah, it was pretty rad, man. So So how did he take it? Did he, uh, did he like, did he know how to take it all apart and, you know he watched to do with uh, it? some YouTube videos. He said, <laughs> I mean, he's seen me do it a couple times, you know, so like he, he's, but you know, once he actually got one on the ground and, you know, I wasn't around I mean, he's, he's 14 now. So he's a little bit older, but um, yeah. So he watched some YouTube videos and he processed the whole, I mean, we, my wife even took the, uh, like the, the rib cages in for, I mean, like he processed the entire animal. Nice. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It took him like six hours. <laughs> how how close was that to your place? Oh, it's, it's on our property. So oh man, perfect. We've been setting up game cameras and scouting, you know, like every day. And then uh, once the season opened, he just went out there and got it done on opening day, which is pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Like, and so are you guys gonna? Did you guys take the skull to uh, to a taxidermist pervert to preserve the velvet? Yeah, so we—that's going to take like eight months to get back. They said because mm-hmm. it had velvet on it, and um, yeah, so they dropped that. I mean, they did this all while I was gone, so it was super cool. You know, like having a kid being able to, you know, be fourteen years old. I mean, I, you know, fifty years ago it'd been no big deal because that's how kids grew up. But yep. today, you know, I mean, most kids they know a lot of stuff like how to run 3d printers and shit like that. But 
processing an animal, at least having the, mm -hmm. you know, the will to go out and try to do something like that on your own. is pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like we didn't all grow up that way. And, um, you know, for me, I grew up, I grew up working in a deer processing shop when I was Landon's age. And so like I had, I had already been exposed to the process quite a few times, but it's different when it's, um, when it's like, Oh, okay. I'm by myself, man. Like I gotta, I gotta get this done. And he shot that in the early season. So I'm sure temperature was a concern and making sure that everything got taken apart quickly. And, <clears throat> you know, that's a, that's a big deal. And it's good to learn that stuff, like in an environment like that, where it's like on your property and you're not nine miles, eight miles into the back country and, and it's 85 degrees outside and we're going, Oh shit. Okay. It's like, it's go time. I got to get this out or else things are going to go bad. Yeah, for sure. dude. Yeah. That yeah. most 14 year olds right now are trying to figure out how to get a good following on TikTok. Let's be honest. <laughs> so it's, it's super cool. I mean, when I was 14, I was balls deep in some video games right so it's uh it, it you probably had tiktok when you were 14 phil what's that you probably had tiktok when you were 14 okay let's okay let's be honest there <laughs> let's be real yeah, yeah. uh but, but uh that's no that's uh, uh super cool and, and and it's the same thing i think um thankfully when i shot my first mule deer i was with a buddy and both of us it was patty uh from idaho and he had shot and taken down some game, but we were just trying to figure it out. Um, and we didn't have any service, right? So we're like, I guess we'll just take this and take that. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing that we didn't really take was all the, the, the neck meat. Cause you're we like, well, I just want to euro mount it. So, um, but it was, a uh, it was definitely a, a cool experience to, to uh, be able to do. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to do that. Like I've been around a lot of, a lot of, uh, I've hunted with a lot of different people and seen different ways of doing things and, <clears throat> And it's interesting for, uh, you know, to see what people have learned over the past and compared to like how you do it. And, um, I think really like what I want to actually talk to you guys about is on this episode is not necessarily like, I want to hear all the story, but I also want to hear Cody, like, how did you figure out where to hunt? Um, because that's a big deal. And I think a lot of people that are out there, um, at least a lot of people that come to come to me are they're aspiring and they want to get out there and do it, but they really don't understand what to do and how to actually like go about finding an area to go look for animals. And you kind of had the same thing going on, um, with you because I was completely self-guided and, you know, you went into that with just a couple of references, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, a buddy of mine, um, he, so last year I was like, Hey, um, looking to do we typically buy elk tags for our property like every year uh our private land for the area that i live in and it's not you know i guess like for me like hunting has been i've been kind of dabbling in it for like 10 years but it's been more of a way for me to procure meat uh, <laughs> it is cool to go out you know like some of the places that i've hunted around here i mean every animal that i've shot um, including the first elk that I shot 10 years ago was within, you know, like we hooked a winch up to it from the, you know, mm -hmm. from the, the off-road vehicle and pulled it onto, you know, like a piece of plywood and was able to get it onto a truck eventually. So they weren't, to me, they, they weren't like those experiences where you were like, oh man, this is awesome. It was cool. You know, like, I was like, yeah, right on, you know, now I'm freezer full of meat for the year. Uh, the same thing with the, the deer that I'd shot. I mean, I didn't shoot my first deer till like four years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
even that, you know, we were able to get four wheelers or ATVs out to it. It was on private land on a, on a big ranch and, um, you know, get the animal back to like a clean place to process it. But this was like just straight back country. So I, I talked to a friend of mine and I was like, you know, we want to do, we want to do like a, a back country elk hunt. Um, doesn't matter if it's, you know, a doe or I mean, a, a cow or a bull. Uh, but we want to we want to go someplace that's challenging where we can actually have the potential to reach out you know farther than you know like two or three hundred meters. And um, he recommended a place. And I'm not going to say where it was, but I will yeah. say it was very <laughs> fucking rugged, dude. Like <laughs> I had, I had, it, I mean, he shot a, a mountain goat in the same area early, earlier this season. Yeah, that's that kind of cute. That me. says it all. So yeah, elevations between 8,000 and 13,000 feet. Um, and I, I had a pretty busy summer, you know, teaching the jungle warfare stuff, working at a uh, sniper course that I work at, doing the other, you know, the other stuff that I normally do. I'm also working for a mountaineering guide company now, which is pretty rad. I'm not a guide yet, but I'm working on it. Um, so it was a pretty busy summer. So I didn't get to, we were lucky, you know, we, we drew the tags for that area. He's like, nobody goes there because it's hardcore and you more than likely draw for this area. So we drew, we both drew tags, either sex, elk tags. Um, and I wish that I would have been able to get out there this summer and do a lot more scouting because that would have like prepared me mentally for how hard it was going to be. Right. But yeah, just the, the way that it worked out, I couldn't get out there. And I was like, you know what? I'll just plan on getting there a couple of days before the season starts. And that's when we'll, you know, hope for no snow, which didn't happen. <laughs> and, uh, and just, you know, try to do as much scouting as we can. Yeah. It was a recon brand. So that's like what I do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's normal. It's like standard stuff. It's like you're constantly scouting everywhere you go, every place you look. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I would say like the best place to find somewhere is ask people that, I mean, everybody knows people that hunt. Um, if it's your first one, like first real, like backcountry hunt, like I would say this is my first real backcountry hunt. Um, you know, talk to some people. I'm, I'm sure there's forums you can go on and, you know, just ask mm -hmm. people like, Hey, I know people typically like try to keep their hunting areas like quiet and one of the yep. reasons why I don't want to say this one is because I don't want a bunch of people going out there and getting themselves into some trouble. Like I almost got myself into. That's a good point, man. That's a really good point. Yeah. But I guess the next thing would be like training, you know, so we did quite a bit of training for this hunt. So I, uh, it was great. You know, I retired from the Marine Corps. There's like no more cardio requirement. Right. So I just <laughs> fucking lifted weights for like six months and I was looking good naked, but I started a, <laughs> the first time I tried to run after getting out, I, mean, I had back problems and stuff. So it kept me from running um, for, you know, really like a couple of years. So I just started easing back into it. I started like a 5k running program last spring and ran through the summer. I'm still not a fast runner, uh, but I was definitely working on the cardio stuff and then started adding, you know, like a rucksack to it trying to do like a couple thousand feet in every week, uh, just elevation yeah. climbing with uh, a light load, box step ups and stuff like that. And my son was doing the same thing. So he's a phenomenal runner though. He's in great shape. He's on the high school cross country team. 
you're in an 1835 5k let's say that's, like a 300 pft is a 14 year old kid that's, that's crazy that's ripping man that's super fast i think you're telling me that and i was like dude i, I ran one 18 minute three mile in my entire career i, ran I, one too. That was I promptly vomited as soon as i was done with it it's i'm not fast like you man i'm i'm a i'm more of a distance runner I'm not fast anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> we're definitely not getting any younger. Yeah. The, the other thing too, like, um, that a lot of people don't think about is, um, is like tapping into state resources, like biologists and saying, Hey, okay, I'm going to, I want to go hunt this area. Um, call your state biologists and say, I want to do this. And what areas do you guys recommend that I look at? And, you know, your biologist can give you a lot of information on animal habitat and what to look for, for animal habitat. And a lot of people don't think to utilize that resource. And that's just another, another thing you can do. That's a really good idea, man. I never thought of that or getting in touch probably with the game warden or something. Mm -hmm. in that area. Yeah. We, we did that in the grand Teton uh, trip. Just, I mean, we were going to interact with biologists anyways, because we had to do like our little in briefing for the park and, and we got a big day long kind of training slash presentation from the biologists. And they were like, Hey, this is where the goats like to live. This is their general habits uh, in the park. Um, these are the ridges and, uh, the points of interest that we are going to, that we go look for when we try to go find goats and do animal counts and things like that. So those are really, really good resources. And biologists are generally not going to like bogart information from you. Um, yeah. like other hunters will. And like you said, like, I'm not going to tell you where we went because two things, you know, you don't want to, you know, have a bunch of people coming into your area. Um, but I've also found that that's not a, that's not a big deal. If, if you're, um, it's not a big deal. If the country you're hunting in is pretty big, yeah. you know, if you got big country and you know where, you know, where you're going and you've been there for several years, then it's not a big deal. Um, but at the same time, like the other thing you said is like, Hey, the area that you went into, once you harvest, everything changes, like just because you were able to get there, doesn't mean jack shit when it's time when when harvest happens which you learned right yeah for sure <laughs> it's shit's for real it's yeah. for real for sure so you get to your uh phil's on horseback yeah i saw some of your videos that looked badass dude yeah I, same thing man like i i was um you know i the one when I, I went on, I want to say it was more of like, uh, I want to say do it yourself because I had, I had clay there and he's a local, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I was able to kind of learn the ropes of how Wyoming, uh, Wyomans, I guess you would call it, uh, Wyomans do their, do their hunting. Wyomingites. Wyomingites. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, unless you're near like uh, a two track or whatever, I mean, you need horses, right. Uh, for, for elk <clears throat> hunting, just because, um, I mean, we're not so far back in the country because when I shot my elk, we were about six miles from the actual trailhead. Our base camp was about four miles in, but uh, I can't, I couldn't imagine having to, uh, make those trips with all of that meat with just two of us back and forth to the trailhead, you know, and, you know, trying to like be cautious of, cause it is grizz bear country. Right. Um, and then, you know, talking to a bunch of other Wyoming, especially for archery hunting, like, um, horses are a must to be able to get that meat out of there. 
uh, just because it's still so hot. So we were lucky with weather that week to be able to stash the meat. Uh, but I mean, it was an experience. It was the first time I was on horses. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, Clay is really good about, and we talked about this in the last episode, Clay was really good about just making sure that he had good attention to detail with, uh, packing horses. And I was telling him that we have a course in the Marine Corps, uh, uh, the ass packing course. I was like, man, knowing what I know now of like what lifestyle I'm choosing to pursue, I kind of wish I'd taken that course, you know, Um, I still (laughs) want to go to that course. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, you know, understanding how to pack mules and uh, pack horses, um, he was, you know, showing me and it's, it's cool. Cause you, you can see his experience kind of kick in with his, um, multiple years of doing it, uh, as a, with an outfit. Um, and again, like, uh, one of the things that like he was trying to explain to me that he didn't really understand, um, is like why the animals do what they do. Um, because he's just, because he grew up doing this he just figures like that's what they do you know so trying to explain to someone that has no idea um not to really look what to look for but what to expect uh was was pretty neat um that podcast that we did with owen in terms of like priming your brain really helped out one thing we forgot to talk about in the podcast in the last podcast was um after the snow fell uh one of the things that we start i start, like that popped out was um trails and tracks of of the of the herds Right. So once I was able to see that disturbance along the hillside, oh my God, all that shit started popping out and it would lead me to different herds or different, different bulls. It was pretty, pretty awesome. You know, cause, um, before that I wouldn't have think, you know, I would have just been looking aimlessly on a hillside at a, at a hillside. Yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. changes in the snow falls. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I, we actually got a, 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 some really good luck when it came. So we got up, we got up to the area two days before, uh, and it, it was like starting to snow, like the storm was coming in. And um, so we, we just did a, the area that we set up to glass in was about three and a half to four miles away from where we were planning on hunting at. But, you know, we have, I've got two Louisville spotting scopes and we set the truck up as like a base camp. That's where that picture is like covered in snow, you know? Yeah. And um, <laughs> we got up there and, um, got set up, but of course it was like whiteout conditions, you know, you couldn't see more than 50 meters. Um, so we just made dinner, racked out. The next morning I got up, same thing, whiteout conditions. And then it started breaking up a little bit and um, was able to start catching like glimpses of the, the far ridge line where we planned on hunting. And same thing, you know, like sort of sea tracks. It kind of, it actually reminded me a lot of like my Afghan, Afghanistan deployment as a sniper when I would set up on opposite hillsides in the morning time. Uh, you could basically follow uh, the color change of the tracks because it was like, you know, the moisture would come in at night and then when they would leave, it would break up the ground a little bit and you would see that disturbance from, you know, like, and I was probably only like a thousand to, 1600 meters out from one of these objectives, but just getting on the glass and following those trails uh, until you make visual contact with what you're hunting for. And that's the same techniques that I used up here for this elk hunt. And um, luckily, you know, like clouds would come in and I would just leave the spotting scope set up where it was and go warm up a little bit and come back when there was another break and move the spotting scope a little bit more until eventually I found a herd. There were 13 cows and bull in this herd and then clouds came in again. We never saw them again, but I picked a spot that was probably within 300 meters, you know, 
did the whole like plot on the GPS, you know, like asthma thing. I'm like, okay, this is where we're going. So we knew where we were going to be going to set up the next morning when uh, opening opening day started. So yeah, I mean, glassing is huge. Like being able to follow tracks. I mean, even from three and a half miles away, I could see tracks of the forty power spotting scope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that, that I had to get used to as well coming here as a, as a Western hunter trying to like, you know, I grew up hunting deer from a tree stand with bows and shotgun slugs, you know, you were lucky if you got a hundred yard shot and then it's like, Oh, okay. Binos. Like I need these things to the first time you see this country out here. You're like, Holy shit, man. Like this, you can't, you can't hunt this on foot. It's, it's not possible. Like it's not a, it's not a, a, a realistic expectation because of the country so huge and mm-hmm. observation skills are huge, hugely important. So one of the things um, I'd like to talk about with, with, uh, uh, with you guys is, is when someone comes up because, you know, I would say all three of us have didn't grow up. Well, I, I don't know about Cody, but I know I didn't grow up hunting. Right. And uh, so being a sniper or being in the recon kind of helped kind of soften the blow when it, turned into getting into long range hunting. So shooting was, is, is, it is what it is. Right. But a lot of times there's a lot of people that focus on the shooting aspect in terms of like, Oh, I need a rifle and a scope, um, that shoots well out to X distance. And then all this other gear that you should be thinking about that they, no one thinks about. So like when, um, I, I noticed that, uh, and I talk, no talk social media here, but like gear lists, um, have, have the most engagement. Cause a lot of people are curious about gear that we're bringing out to the field. Right. And one of the things that, um, I've discovered since getting out of the Marine Corps, obviously is that there's a lot better gear than what were issued. <laughs> uh, for sure. And, um, how do you educate or coach someone with, uh, the direction of, of, uh, obtaining gear? And what, what, uh, what do you, um, essentially, what kind of questions should they ask or, or what, what not? So I guess, you know, when it comes to me, like I, I've got kind of a, a different approach on gear. Like I'm, you know, I obviously like the best gear, you know, everybody likes the, the best gear, but the reality is like, I don't have time to buy it all or I can't afford it all. Uh, so I've always just been a dude that just kind of, you know, if there's a certain piece of gear that I think makes my life better, then yeah, I'll, I'll spring for it. But uh, I've just kind of always reverted to the fact like, hey, bring in some of the basics, like the skills uh, that you have are really what's going to make the difference. And then the equipment, you, you need to have the, the right equipment, but it doesn't have to be like the best equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of guys get wrapped up on that. Like, I mean, you see like these dudes going out on like, prairie dog hunts wearing like kuyu clothes and pants and shit man that's what i grew up shooting was prairie dogs you know like i was a badass prairie dog hunter (laughs) (laughs) so is landon (laughs) yeah he's he's pretty damn good man but um yeah so we made a gear list i think i I posted a picture of it on social media yeah you did yeah it was pretty extensive gear list so i started like about two weeks out, like packing for, for, uh, this trip. And, um, you know, I, I definitely developed some bad habits as a platoon commander because I was always really busy, uh, doing like the command aspect, selling the mission, 
you know, making sure stuff was ready. So when I had to go out, like if my platoon sergeant didn't fucking pack chow for me in my pack or whatever, you know, like, cause I would leave my gear out and I'm gone because like, Hey, just make sure everything's there. If there's something else, the rest of my crap's over there in the corner, just pull it out and throw it in there. And, uh, I mean, it sucks to have to rely on somebody else to do all that. And I think for the last few years of my military experience, it kind of built like a bad habit because I was so focused on, you know, the mission of getting the dudes out the door. I just didn't take care of myself. And, um, you know, being retired now, that's something that you have to, it's like, Hey man, you're, you're private again, you're on your own. There's something to be said about that too. Like now you just get to focus on, on, being uh just being a dude you know like you just get to focus on being a dude you don't have all these other crazy responsibilities that that suck you away from just focusing on being um you know the best individual operator that that you can be instead of worrying about everybody else yeah for sure so when it comes to gear like i I pretty much kind of divided into like three categories really so like for this hunt, there was like the stuff that we needed for the base camp, which included like a whole bunch of like really good chow, like carne asada, and tacos, and you know, like stuff eat to good. make it fun. Yeah, eat yeah. well, you know, like where you're glassing, you know, carving up for the big movement and uh, everything that I needed that I knew that I wouldn't be carrying, uh, you know, that went to the truck. So we did the whole thing out of like a, you know, my Tacoma, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it seemed, I think if I had more than two people, that probably wouldn't have been a big enough vehicle if I didn't yeah. have a trailer to come along with it. But um, the plan was to go in and, and take out two elk. And uh, I found out real quickly that, you know, that wouldn't have been an ethical decision at all. So, <laughs> it wouldn't have been the right call. <laughs> no, man. So, yeah, so then, I have, then I've got the gear that, like, okay, this is what I'm actually going to take on. The, the foot movement for the actual hunt, you know, yes. so trying to be as light as possible, but also prepared for, you know, any other, you know, like contingency planning, like, Hey, what if we get stuck up there? What do we need? Um, and then I've got stuff in the middle that I think that I might need. So like when I pull my basement, it's kind of like a, like supply almost, you know, like so I pull everything out and I like, you know, I've got like empty bins and I'll just start putting stuff in bins and then, you know, like I might sort some more stuff out of it. And, you know, you're, you're always checking the weather, but you're prepared for the worst weather at the same time because mountain mm-hmm. conditions, weather can change. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I use the, the principle, like at the sniper school, I teach that for like our winter phase or, or mountain phase. You know, I teach the cold weather gear class. So the um, if, if you guys out there listening aren't familiar with the, the soft PCU, protective clothing uniform system, uh, that's pretty much what we use. So you, you don't have to necessarily purchase the same stuff that like soft operators are getting, but there's, you know, all these companies out there like Stone Glacier. Uh, I mean, you can even buy like stuff from, from Walmart that fits the needs, you know? So you have like your level one attire, which is like your wicking t-shirt and underwear. Your level two stuff would be like your long johns, you know, like long sleeve shirt and uh, long john pants. Uh, your level three would be like a fleece jacket or like one of those uh, Arcteryx, uh, like lightweight puffy jackets. Actually, I bought my son one of those Stone Glacier ones before we went up. Uh, the puffy? Yeah, a little lightweight puffy, which is such a badass little garment, man. 
super cool. Get your level five, which would replace your uniform. So your uniform uh, in a cold weather environment is like a, a soft shell, mm -hmm. soft shell pants, soft shell top. Your level six would be your Gore-Tex. Um, so Gore-Tex top and bottoms. And then you have your level seven, which is like your hardcore, like can replace a sleeping bag, like puffy jacket, puffy pants. Um, and then, oh, yeah, so your level four. So your wind shirt, like really lightweight, thin, uh, like a nylon, just basically like a wind blocker, but they can retain it to like 300% heat. Uh, critical garment so that, that's your Huge. full spread of stuff and then you just take into consideration are you going to be active or static and what the yep. temperatures are going to be whether it's Huge difference. so you kind of piece together your plan you do your mission planning based on those garments from the system and how you put them together and yep. uh, we as far as uh you know this is my I know what I what I can get away with while I'm moving which is usually like a t-shirt and that level four wind shirt I would wear shorts if I could, but I you're a sweat monster. Right? You're, you sweat it's a lot, like don't you? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I was just about to ask uh, Cody what you're doing next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out at the, the course, man. We'll be out mountain phase. Uh, no, that's all. It's awesome. Cause actually we're, we're doing a class, uh, on cold weather stuff here next week. Oh, no sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you, glad they brought that up because, you know, Kayla and I were just talking about the same thing of like how to, layer properly you know because a lot of people have you know buy again buy all this stuff have all this gear but no don't know how to put it on correctly or when to put it on mm -hmm. and then just don't understand again and, and the only way to get experience for again for you is by actually going out and doing it right mm -hmm. you said like you know that okay for movement i probably only need one to two quarts of water max and you know only need to be moving in a level one and a level four but then when I, when we stop for long periods of time to glass or whatever, I want, I need something to grab easily accessible that can help sustain me for, you know, an extra 45 to a minute. Cause then you know, the last thing you want to do is start shivering and then now burning up all these unnecessary calories. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you're, when you're glassing. So moisture I'm, management's huge, man. It's super big. Yeah. It's, it's about like, I mean, using your layers <laughs> to create kind of a, like a miniature, like microclimate underneath, you know, so you've got your, you know, your base layer, which is going to get wet because that's what's soaking up all the moisture off your body. And then, you know, if you're wearing the, the correct stuff, like a synthetic, or I guess you could wear wool, I, you know, honestly, like I'd love a great wool point, stuff, dude, man, but I just haven't like my, I don't know if it just doesn't work well with my body type. It's uh, a great point. Luke has the same issue, big, like big Luke, um, that yeah. does our backcountry hunter program with us. And, you know, he's been a huge <clears throat> hunting mentor to me here, um, out West and he's the same way he sweats a lot. And so Merino wool base layers don't work for him because they don't dry fast enough. So like it'll get wet and Merino will keep you warm while it's wet to a certain point. But after that, it's just like, okay, um, I'm expending more energy trying to maintain warmth when I could just strip that layer off and throw a new one on. So yeah. that's something that I do. I will always carry an extra t-shirt or an extra, I carry two base layers and I'll move in the, I'll move in one base layer. And when I get to where I'm going, that base layer comes off, it gets thrown in a tree to dry from the sweat. And then I'll throw a fresh dry one on. So that way, cause I know I'm going to be sitting for 
six hours. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to be sitting for a long time and, and that's a big difference in activity levels. Like you were mentioning, um, we crossed, we, I passed, uh, some, some Pacific crest trail hikers, some through hikers in Washington state. Cause where I hunt, um, up in the, in Northern, in the Northern Cascades, they only have like 30 miles to go to the Canadian border somewhere in that vicinity. And so when you pass them, they're like almost done, you know, they've been on the trail for like three and a half, four months and they look at your rucksack and they're like, yo dude, like what the fuck do you have in that thing? And they're just, they don't understand. It's like they get up in the morning and they start walking and they're going to walk and they're going to cover like 25 to 35 miles a day. So they stop for lunch. They might stop for a couple of scenic views and you know, whatever the case is. And, but they're going to continuously move. They're going to be constantly moving and they stop and they're like, okay, well now I'm going to put on my puffy and I'm going to get my sleeping bag, make myself some chow and go to sleep. You know, where for us, you know, we could have to sit in motionless behind a spotting scope for 10 hours when it's blowing 30 miles an hour and it's 40 degrees outside. That's like hardcore shit. You know, you have to make sure that you have the clothing and the layers to make yourself sustainable for that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So not yeah. a lot of dudes know how to wear it. Yeah, they do. Like a lot of it's figuring it out. Some of, you know, but you can skip a lot of the pain if you just do some good training, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, I, my, my son definitely learned some, you know, lessons because, you know, just like the Marine Corps, like when you step off on a hike, you, you want to be cold, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it's the hardest thing for people to do, man. Like when it's five in the morning, it's 30 degrees outside. You got a puffy on, you just drank some coffee, you're relatively warm. And then you're looking at that thing. You're like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you got to strip it all off and freeze your ass off. But you're only going to freeze for like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then you warm up, you'll forget about it. I mean, you'll forget about it after like three or four minutes and you start yeah. focusing on what you need to do. Yeah. But it's just having that discipline and take it off. And yeah, he, he learned that, you know, because <laughs> like, he had on like three coats and, you know, two pairs of pants and stuff. And, and it's, uh, well, you got it. You also too, like as a, I've been, I've been along on a lot of, um, on a guy on guided hunts where people that are not from this area are coming from other parts of the country that don't, that aren't exposed to this type of stuff. And they're just learning and you don't want to, you don't want to like hold their hand. You want them to be able to make their own mistakes and learn their own lessons. But at the same time, that can become really, really critical if the weather is super shitty. And, you know, you got a guy that decided to start his hike in all of his warming layers and all of his insulation layers. And he's a sweat monster on top of it. And now he's sweated through, you know, two or three of those layers and he can't get warm because of that fact. And that's a really dangerous situation to be in. And, you know, there's like, it's like, okay, well, we're going to build a ripper fire and, you know, get you warm, but that only lasts for so long before it's like, okay, we got to get you in a sleeping bag now and like get the core temperature back up or else you're going to be, you know, not only like unpleasant, um, but there's always the risk of like basic, you know, baseline hypothermia, which really sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cody, how long were your movements uh, when you guys were, uh, when you guys were moving around? Um, so you guys spotted your, your elk. Oh man. So we, we started at three in the morning and, um, we started climbing early. I know. Well, you know, there were some other guys in down in the the parking lot that were saying it only takes like three hours to get to the top of that ridge line. And, uh, 
Yeah, there's no way, man. Like, <laughs> there was like ankle to knee deep snow. So, I mean, I, I I broke trail pretty much the whole way. There was at one point where, you know, my son's looking at Onyx. He's like, oh, the trail's over here. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't you take point? <laughs> How well that worked out for you. <laughs> And uh, he did it for like 10 minutes and he's like, all right, I get it, I get it. There's <laughs> like, too much snow on the ground to see where, you know, a game trail is. Like it, plus it's, you know, it's dark and we're, I had a, there were a couple of gear mistakes that I made. So I had, I had packed my headlamp and, uh, you know, I put like fresh batteries in it, ready to go. And he was like, oh, hey, here's your other headlamp. And I'm like, okay, well, here, you can take this one check and prepped and he gives me the other one he's i was like are there good batteries in it he's like yeah it's 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 good and uh, the batteries were good in it but the problem was it had like a crack in it so it was like strobing and it was like super dim oh, I, didn't, I didn't notice that so uh i always carry two flashlights you know i always carry like a super bright surefire flashlight and then i'll have a, a headlamp like a little tk headlamp but when you're trying to like bust brush, you know, like down in the low ground, there's a bunch of willows and your the small headlamp just didn't work out, you know. So I'm glad that I had the, the big bright surefire flashlight with me too, because I was able to scan ahead, you know, like up to about 100 meters and pick the best line when we're going up. But yeah, so I... nine hours, nine hours and some change, probably like nine and a half before he, he took a shot. We got within. Um, 100 meters of the point that I had picked uh, GPS wise. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to it, but I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that later. So nine hours <laughs> on the weekend. That's nuts, dude. Damn. That's a long movement. That's a long, that movement. is a long movement. Yeah. So, you know, for the movement piece, so I'm very used to like going without food. Like there's some days like I might just eat like one meal a day. Uh, and my son is like no fat on his body. And uh, the, the first mistake that I made in the morning is like, you know, we're, we're getting up and we're getting ready to go. And I'm just thinking that, you know, like we're going to put packs on, eat power bars on the way or whatever. And uh, he was expecting me to make breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, get your stuff on, let's go, I'm cold. Cause I'm like ready to step off, you know? And then like three hours into it, he's like, I could tell I didn't eat breakfast. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> now it's um what what our SOP is usually um we just we do uh coffee and um a couple of bars in the morning when we wake up. And then um, usually our, our walk out to glass is usually try to keep it no more than a couple hours. Um, but uh, then when we sit down to glass, then it's like, okay, now we're going to break out the stove and then we'll make like, I, I usually eat oatmeal in the morning or, or something like that. Depends on like how cold it is. If it's really cold and I'm trying to get a lot of calories, I'll do like um, I'll do the uh, like a mountain house with like, eggs and the the skillet stuff like anything to have like a lot of calories but mm -hmm. i've tried to do the whole thing where it's just like i don't want to eat a lot in the morning and then ruck like that because then that's uncomfortable and then but at the same time you do need some calories before you step off yeah yeah i, I also made a couple other i would say they're like critical mistakes well within my ability level and the packing list like before we stepped out so um 
like I always carry a, a bivy sack. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I had two bivy sacks and I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll sacrifice one of these bivy sacks. If you need one, that's, we'll have one for you. And then I'll, um, I'll carry a camera instead. So I took my big camera because I wanted to get some good pictures. I only ended up taking like a couple pictures anyway. So that was usually what happens. That's a waste of like three pounds. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, man. man, I I carry it all with me too. And and then I'm looking at the camera and I'm freezing my fucking ass off. off I'm like, like, nope, nope. nope. (laughs) I want to keep these gloves on. And like, there's no time for fucking sexiness. It just sucks right now. And I want to just get warm. (laughs) I think the other, so the other mistake that I made, so like I did bring, I always bring extra socks. I'm sure everybody does that, but I also have like a pair of uh, like super lightweight down booties mm. um, that, I mean, I've got like some pinched nerves in my back. So the circulation can be kind of poor. So my feet get pretty cold. Uh, so I took those out because I was like, um, I'm too hard for these now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no way. <laughs> but, um, and then I also took out like a, I usually carry like a tarp to, you know, make like an improvised shelter and stuff. And I was like, uh, I'll take the Skedco instead. Uh, that way we can drag some meat out. And then at the last minute I was like, yeah, Skedco is pretty heavy. You know, I think we'll be able to, we'll be able to get this done. Not factoring into how exhausted, you know, we would mm-hmm. be having not eaten. Um, so I ended up, we got to, you know, we got to about, you know, within 100, 150 meters of where we're planning on shooting. And I was like, all right, let's take a break, get our clothes dried out. Um, we'll, um, we'll get you a meal made up. So we only brought, we brought four bars and one mountain house meal per person. And, uh, you know, once he told me that he, you know, like was struggling because he didn't eat breakfast, I was like, okay, you can have my meal. No big deal. I'll just, you know, find something to eat out here. <laughs> and, uh, Cause I know I'm not going to starve to death, you know, like you just kind of get into that mode where you're like, yeah, whatever. I'm just, I'm just humping a heavy ass rock up a mountain. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to eat because I've done it a thousand times before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, um, the movement was, was pretty hard. You know, we, um, it was, it was good learning because, you know, like the sun came out that day. So it warmed up a little bit. Snow was melting quite a bit, got pretty wet, sticky. Uh, but you know, it was like showing them how to like, okay, now you should change your layers out and, you know, <laughs> switch over to just, you know, either your Gore-Tex jacket or your wind shirt, you know, cause we're moving. So you're staying warm and stop you know to throw your puffing on over the top mm-hmm. of everything and that'll help bring that moisture through those layers kind of creating that microclimate mm-hmm. you know where the you know the the air is more pressurized or there's more heat so it's pushing the moisture through your layers and then you, you'll continuously dry out mm-hmm. uh, so as far as layering goes like we were we were pretty comfortable you know there's a lot of lessons learned going up going up the mountain um so I got a meal cooked up for him and um, I was like, hey, and probably like 30 minutes before that, we heard like a firefight going on somewhere. <laughs> General elk season has begun. Oh my gosh. It was like, <laughs> it, was like it was like two different rifles. And like, <laughs> pow, eight pow, different pow. Shots. And uh, 
I was like, yeah, you might want to take your vest off your pack and just put it on your body. (laughs) 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 There's idiots out here just swinging lead all over the place. And um, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to move across this draw while you're eating and just go over there and start glassing to see if I see anything. I'll take all my gear with me. But if you see my, me take my hat off and start waving it, grab your, grab your stuff and get over here and get ready to shoot. And uh, I got like halfway through, through the draw. And uh, I mean, this is like a really hard, I can't like explain to you like how hard this movement was. I mean, it was a 30 degree slope avalanche shoot, trees down all over the place. And it was just, it was a slow going, man. And um, yeah, he did, he did really well. And it was, it was really hard. Um, top five hardest movements I've ever done. Wow. Um, just climbing up that hill. And I, I didn't have a heavy pack either. I found that um, the, the general rule that I stick to is like dudes that are in good shape, um, my son included, can carry 20% of their body weight forever. And um, so for him, you know, that's like 25 pounds. Um, you know, he's, it's it's not a it's not a lot of weight. He did really well with it. He probably had less than that because he basically just had his cold weather gear and his rifle. And the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the rifle that he chose to take was the rifle he's been training with. So he, he brought an AI up uh, in six five Creedmoor. Uh, I brought my rifle too. Uh, I have a, just thirty out six and a Woodstock. I just I just love that gun. It's 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 a cool looking gun and it's super accurate. But we had been doing a ton of training, you know, not just, you know, shooting groups of a hundred from the prone, but, you know, like going over the whole thing, like, okay, there's your, there's your target. I want you to laze it, get your Kestrel out, you know, go through the, go through the, the motions of everything that you would do to engage in them and change positions. So he shot from, I didn't have him training, like shooting standing off the tripod, but seated tripod. Um, you know, like low prone tripod, shooting angles, you know, all these, all these things. And um, he's been shooting for a while. He's actually really good. I don't know if I told you about that. We did that, um, that precision rifle match, like last December, he got second place. Yeah, you did tell me that. I remember that. I remember you sending a picture. That was awesome. Yeah, I got eighth place. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's just awesome watching kids like get into the sport because I mean, they're, they're, they're doing things and they're doing it because, you know, they don't know that they're not supposed to be able to, you know, like mm. I remember, you know, like coming to the Marine Corps, you know, guys talking about like thousand yard shots and how, you know, like only snipers can do this kind of shit. But, you know, like once you kind of get into it, you, you realize that it's totally doable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, when we did that course out in, uh, Wyoming with a buck from Leupold. Yeah. A few years ago, you know, he's up there like smoking prairie dogs at like 600 meters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just slays eight years old, you know? Yep. That was, that was a good time. Yeah. That was awesome. But uh, yeah. So I, um, I glanced down this avalanche chute and uh, saw some movement down there and dropped down real quick, pulled my binos out and I saw three cows and, um, a bull. I don't know if it was the same bull that we had seen the day prior, uh, but you know, for for him, he's like, you know, I'm just be happy if I shoot a cow. And uh, so I waved him over real quick, and I was super proud of him because you know I'm like, he's gonna forget 
everything but his gun. I know he is. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like a 10 minute movement to get over there. So I'm like, all right, yeah, let's go. And, um, he came, uh, he came cruising over. He had his tripod with him and his little, uh, you know, his, uh, his bino pouch with his, you know, his range finder has his Kestrel on the side of it. And, um, I was like, hey, he sits down, he starts getting his tripod set up. And uh, I mean, I, I didn't really have to give him much direction. He was just like, what's the range? And I'm like 880 meters, <laughs> just, you know, 962 yards. And that's how his Kestrel is set up. Yeah. And, uh, so he like gets it out. I grabbed the Kestrel from him because I wanted to make sure that the, that the uh, app, the environmentals were on, right? Make sure that shit was updating. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure it's not at like seventy two and you know five thousand feet yeah, lower. You're at thirteen thousand. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm like, just get set up, man. Like, let me just gonna check this stuff out for you. Make sure that's all good." And, uh, one is none, two is one. Yep. So you know, I, I had the uh, the vortex uh, rangefinder that tells you the angle as well, and uh, so we put it in for twenty seven degrees, twenty seven degree shot, you know, nine hundred sixty two yards, and uh, just waited till he turned broadside. And I mean, it was through a pretty small gap, and just knowing his ability, like I didn't feel, I never felt once like that he couldn't do it. I know there's a lot of people out there who say, man, that's, that's, I would never shoot an elk with a 6.5 at you know, that, that distance. But uh, just seeing the way that he shoots, because we've, we've got really small targets out here on the property and seeing him work all the different positions. But yeah, he set up into a tripod sitting and uh, he took the shot. It felt like forever, you know, like looking through the binos and then. Uh, what are you doing? He, <laughs> yeah, so he takes a shot and uh, it was like a second. A second later, the bull just dropped right there, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it was badass. Where where did the round impact, Cody? In the neck. In the neck. Yeah. So we typically shoot everything in the neck, um, just because it saves the most meat. Mm -hmm. And uh, to his his uh, his defense, though, it was like, did you shoot him in the neck? And he was like, well, I was aiming for you know the heart, but the way they were, it was just kind of like quartering away. So he really missed. His elevation was perfect. Windage was off by about six inches. That's so at 960 something yards, six inches off and you wind call, take it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he did ask for it. He was like, what's the wind call? And, uh, it was like just barely, barely going. So, and it was mostly like in our face. So I know like with spin drift, uh, it would cancel it out. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, just hold center, bud. And sit down. <laughs> what what yeah. bullet you were you guys using? We Ready? use the 147s. So okay, I've got you know. So through my rifle, I've had some some not so good luck with the 147s. I felt like sometimes like it looked like it was spinning the jackets off. Mm -hmm. But I've got probably a couple hundred rounds of those 147 ELDs left over and he's been shooting those. He did all of his training with them. And it seems like every shot that he's fired has been like on point. That's, and that's what he used for that competition as well. So I've had more luck with the 143 ELDXs, but the mm -hmm. 147s and his gun work for him. And, right. uh, I mean, you know, he stacks them up. Like when we shoot groups at a hundred 
And uh, yeah, so I was like, yeah, if 147s is what you want, then go for it. But yeah, it was a you know small entry wound, a little bit larger exit wound. Um, so the bullet passed through? Yeah. Wow, nice. Hell yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the thing buckled, hit the ground, rolled uh, probably about 30 yards. And uh, yeah, I mean, like the, the cows that were standing around it were there for a while. I mean, I had, that's what, you know, like I had my opportunity to shoot a cow and I was like, I'm just so better sad. not do I that. Even, I don't even care right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we'll worry about it when we get the meat out. Yeah. Uh, off the top of your head, do you know how fast those 147s are going? Um, I want to say like 2650. That's okay. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just, doing a shot in the dark here, um, with my one forty sevens, And so about nine sixty yards. So at you that should... distance, you've got about a thousand foot pounds of energy, uh, with the remaining velocity of, uh, 1746, which yeah, is still optimal for, for that, that bullet. Yep. Uh, to, to do what it needs to do. So that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. Now, um, when you say nine sixty, that's line of sight distance, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, what did you put in? Cause I'm asking, cause uh, I, I want to talk about this in terms of, you know, cause a, a lot of people overthink the math with angled shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, the math, I, I feel like the math is easy. It's finding a position suitable to take that shot is what gets difficult. <clears throat> if people, do, people don't spend enough time understanding. Uh, so did you plug the angle into the ballistic software or did you just plug in the line, uh, the flatline distance? So, uh, we plugged the angle into the ballistic software, but I, so like I got my own like version of math doing it well, that I think is really easy. So for me, 30 degrees is 10%, 10% reduction in sight, line of sight distance. Okay. Um, and I think that's pretty close. Like if you figure out the math on it, um, comes up, you know, 90, you know, 90, 90% of the distance you're actually shooting. Yep. So the, what I, what I've found that works pretty well for like quick and hasty formulas is if, you know, say your, you know, your, your mill hold is, is five, 10% of that would be 0.5. So you just subtract 0.5 and that'll get you pretty close to being on target. And I was within 0.2 mils of what the computer generated just by doing it that way. So yeah. yeah. He ended up with a, a five point, I think it was a 5.7 or 5.8 hold, but he dialed it in hold though. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's sure. a great, that's a great point. Um, so when I, uh, so I had like, when I shot mine, I was at a 25 degree angle and I mean, I had like, obviously I just had fucking like four sources of information to grab data from, <laughs> you know, um, they had my Swarovski's, <clears throat> I have, uh, uh, a range finder or uh, ballistics inside. I had my hard dope chart. Um, and then a Kestrel in my watch. Um, I ended up just using strictly the, the Swarovski paired with my, um, uh, my hard dope. And when I lazed it, cause there's, there's just the first time that I was using. So this was kind of like a, I don't know, critical gear, you know, not understanding if my dope was reading the corrected or, uh, but I soon figured it out. So, um, when the, the new Swarovski ELs, it gives you the first line and you can program the second line. The, pro- the first line was the line of sight distance and the second, which was 465. <laughs> and then the second line is your come up 
uh, your firing solution that is corrected based off the angle. Cause when I shot it, it said 465, but it was giving me a dope of like 2.1. I looked at my uh, dope chart and we were roughly in the same elevation that made my dope chart for, for 460, it was like 2.5. And I'm like, Oh shit, it's giving me a corrected. So all mm -hmm. I did, I was like, I don't know if I want to dial four tenths down. So I just, I just was like, I'm going to split the difference. So I dialed at uh, like 2.2 mm -hmm. and that's why I ended up using. Um, but I, I know a lot of people get super wrapped around like the angle and all the math behind it. And it's like, dude, I had a hard time like being comfortable in the, my shooting position versus worrying about the math behind it, you know, especially with yeah. the modern range finders that we have now. Um, and uh, if you use your phone, right. Um, you know, it's easy to figure out and calculate that, that angle real quick, especially when you have time. And, and did you have plenty of time? Um, obviously from the time that you spotted him until landing <laughs> shot is probably what about 20 minute window. Um, you know, I don't think that I never, I never like conceptualize it as having like a lot of time. Um, and I'm the, the way that, you know, like, my experience like shooting as a sniper you know there, we had some tools back then but uh, i've just seen like an over reliance on tools mm -hmm. so i'm i'm like ready to go you know like within you know 30 seconds of acquiring a target and is it going to be a perfect shot i don't know but luck is usually on my side <laughs> so i pulled off some pretty good ones that looked awesome and i'm like there's a lot of luck involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and yeah, walk and, away from that for the day. Well, you know, kind of like what you're saying, Phil, is like I've always focused on, you know, the, the me part, right? Yeah, you know, so yeah. the building the position up and, you know, like doing the drills over and over again about setting up your position and making a stable shot. It's good where you know that, okay, if I have to make a correction after that, then it's, you know, it's ballistics. It's not me. Um, so I've had a lot of success doing things that way and just come up with these like hasty formulas where, I mean, I, I made a guess of the, of the angle and it, I guess at 30 degrees mm -hmm. and, uh, which is a very steep slope. I mean, that's like a, almost a black diamond ski slope if, if you guys ski, but it, um, I was within three degrees per the, you know, the actual device. That's awesome. <clears throat> So yeah, man, I mean, building your, your position is, is definitely key. And that's what we do, you know, most of our training on is like the fundamentals, like getting back to the basics and then everything else, you have these tools to help out and, you know, having the, you know, the, the, the vortex binos, he had his Leica binos, you know, for, they only give you range. Um, and it's a pretty shitty ballistic computer inside of there. So it was close, uh, but those not at that distance. You, no, and they only go out to 800, the ones that I have. Like, they only give you a ballistic solution to 800. And uh, the Kestrel, I had, I had my Kestrel too. So just being familiar with your gear and able to check that stuff really fast. And then, yeah, we had data cards too, but um, it was a good, a good exercise to actually use all of the equipment or the equipment that you carry. So at a minimal, you know, you need a ballistic, ballistic solver, a data card, and rangefinder. Yep. Yeah. And you can get angled with other stuff too. Like, I mean, I carry a, a silver ranger compass that's got an inclinometer on it. So you can like just match it to, you know, the slope the of board. the terrain. And, you know, a lot of guys get really wrapped up in, I'm sure you guys are 
probably these guys too on like you know being within one MOA of um, you know your desired point of impact even at long range and I, I think that's awesome uh, you know but with a you know a target like you know like the size of an elk you know your your vital zone is like 12 inches mm-hmm. you know so that's it's still a little bit bigger than one MOA at that distance but it's it's pretty huge uh, yeah. and I, I know that those bullets when they go in they do some damage what uh did, yeah. he, did, did he cl- uh, clamp in uh what what tripod were you guys oh yeah he clamped in so he had a one of the rs tripods it's my smaller one um i, I don't remember their naming convention always throws me off but it's like 15 inches like compacted but you can shoot like from a high kneeling off of it as well okay is that the send probably um man i don't know i don't know yeah. which one it is it's uh it's definitely my preferred tripod though it's lightweight yeah. yeah and even sniper stuff i mean as yeah. long as i don't have to take a shot from the standing i'll figure yeah. something out it's too sh- i mean it would probably work out for him from a standing position it'd be a low standing and then it had the head on it that uh clamps both pick rail and arc yep yeah yeah, yep. I bet he's got the 14, Phil. Yeah, that's what Sounds I'm thinking. Sounds like he's got the 14. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Which is a perfect hunting tribe, but that's exactly what I carried um, yep. uh, with uh, with my hunt. Yeah, that thing's awesome. badass. I love that thing. I've got one of the big tall ones that I use for just like range work. Yeah. But um, yeah, that tripod is phenomenal. The the funny thing again, you know, tripods always get brought up in in hunting, and and um, uh, I know we're we're starting to to turn our community, that especially that are hunters, to tripods. Uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback, but you know, uh, that is one thing that Clay really loved about this hunt. It was, it was the first time that for all the hunts that he's been on growing up, he, the first time he actually was able to use a tripod. Uh, for like glassing. Cause like he would just do the typical, like sit down, rest his stuff on his knees and stuff like that. And, um, it was hard for him, you know, Super like, hard, man. yeah, looking back in terms of like trying to walk someone else on like now it, he was able to just set up right. Uh, where he found. And if I couldn't find it, I would just jump on his glass real quick that, you know, was in the same area. And I was like, okay, I got it. You know, um, versus trying to walk on and like, you know, just talk each other on. I think that was, uh, uh, tripods are definitely, I mean, it, it, the amount of value it has for you, it's worth the weight of any kind mm-hmm. of hunt. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Like I, that was like a, a critical piece of gear. We only brought one tripod up with us. Um, I've done a lot of shooting like off my pack and you know, we got like a Woodstock rifle, uh, for this hunt. But I mean, you know, throw the little game changer back on top of it, set your rifle up. And I mean, it's, it's the most adjustable, customizable shooting platform that you're going to have. And for where we were in an avalanche shoot with like two feet of snow, you know, there's, there's no other way of doing it. I mean, you yeah. can try to set your pack up. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with him taking a shot like that off of pack, but we've done enough training with a tripod that it's like, yeah, man, you got this, go for it. Yeah, because that's another thing. Like when you're shooting off of tripods on a flat range and stuff, it's you know your brain gets programmed, your eyes gets programmed to, to for 
for that particular setup. And then when you get onto a stoop, a super steep downslope, mm-hmm. that per- perspective changes. And you're like, if you're shooting down, that tripod has to be a lot lower than, than you, than you think it needs to be, um, mm-hmm. which then takes more time because you'll set it up to what you think it should be. And you're like, Oh shit, like I need to go down another six inches with this head just to get my rifle in the right spot to, to, to bring it to bear on the target and opposite for uphill, you know, and, and if you don't have a place to do that, like if you're just like living in a, in your garage and you don't have a place to do that, it's like, it takes time. Yeah. And so when I'm glassing, I set up my tripod and the first thing that I do, once I do my hasty scan to make sure I'm not missing anything obvious when I first show up is that rifle gets put into all of these different shooting positions. And I, and I take, and I get sight pictures on all the target reference points that I've identified. So that way, when the time does come, if it comes, I already have a rough plan of what I'm going to do in the general sense of how to bring this rifle to bear on these targets. Mm-hmm. Cause one thing to sit there in glass and be like, Oh, okay. See him, but okay. Well, how are you going to shoot him from how here? How are you going to shoot it from here? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. You guys are both really good about like knowing like your increments on your tripod setup, And that's something I definitely need to spend more time doing. Uh, and watching him, it was pretty cool. Watching him was like watching you guys, like just, you know, he, he knew like he set it up, he set up, he got his tripod set up and he like set his gun on top of it. And it, just like you said, it was like too high, you know? So he had to like make some fast adjustments and, get into a good position or as, you know, as rear elbow was supported and mm-hmm. all points of articulation supported, you know, well, yeah, like, it's like, what do you adjust on the tripod to get the thing to do what you want? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like yeah. what leg and what control and all the shit, right. And yeah. you just gotta, Especially just gotta sit the there and mess moment, with it, you know? Like, oh yeah. Really got like, it, I mean, it probably took him from the time that he walked up like three minutes to set up and get a shot off. So that's awesome. pretty good, man. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. That's, that's really good. good. Yeah. Yeah, I was super stoked for that kid. I mean, I was, I got like a little bit like emotional, you know, because uh, it was so physically hard to, to get to that point. And um, I mean, I still knew that, you know, the, we still had a day at least of work to get the animal out, but it was, uh, it was like one of those things, like when we finished it, uh, like I just didn't really give a shit about what else was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm just now like kind of coming back online because it was just such an extraordinary experience. And uh, man, it was like, you know, I really felt like I had the fucking thousand yard stare when I got out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done something that hard. And in, I mean, I, I can't time. The last hardest movement that I had like that was at uh, Bridgeport for Mount Leader School. And we made this atrocious like cliff assault like all night, you know, and like set ropes in, there's boulders like flying by you in the dark. At one point, I remember I just like, I basically just broke my rifle down and like T-boned it across the top of my pack because I was like, there's no fucking way if we get attacked here. Yeah, you're not going to fight. Tactical is going to be going on. It's going to be just dudes running down the mountain for their lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we got to the top of that, that, the top of that cliff at dawn after this was, you know, this was like 24 hours of movement at that point. And I remember like, that was the last dude up 
it was like rear security for this thing, like hauling ropes up. And I get up to the top, and everybody's racked out sleeping. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> Suffering for the last six hours pulling these damn ropes up. <laughs> That's fucking great. <laughs> so you guys got a bull down, and now it's like, okay, we got to shift gears. Yeah, shift and- gears. And- you know, put the our rifles inside of our packs, you know, just so the muzzles are sticking out. And it took us two hours to get down to him. And um, so I, I'm not like a super experienced hunter, you know, so, you know, I'm listening to advice from, from everybody. <laughs> so the, the dudes down in the parking lot were like, yeah, if you get one down, just drag it to the bottom of the mountain. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's pretty much a ski slope. This should be easy. No, man, it was like, I mean, I'm like trying to drag this, you know, 500 pound plus animal, you know, and his antlers, you get caught up in all the willows and, <clears throat> you know, trying to be respectful to the animal at the same time. But then, it, you know, at some point, you know, a couple hours later, me just like rolling this thing and dragging him, I'm like, I'm like, we can't, I'm physically exhausted at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, where I'm like shaking, you know, still haven't eaten any food yet. Yeah, it's bad. Power bars, and I'm like, we got to get, you know, we'll get the the back straps and the quarter. And uh, Landon carried the head down. I had to to take the head off because it was getting caught up in the willows too much. And I didn't want to, you know, damage it. So, um, you know, by then it's it's pretty much like kind of getting to where it's getting dark and, we were, since we were coming down a different area that we went up in and um, I was like, all right, we have to find a place to shelter up for the night. He's got a Raynard's disease. So it's like hands go numb when he starts getting cold and his feet go numb and it's just really painful for him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's, um, it's kind of a shitty thing, but um, you know, so now like my concern is shifting towards like the safety of my son, which, you know, is just a whole new level of, I wouldn't say there was ever any like fear, but it was like, okay, there's decisions that I have to make that are going to be critical here. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've got over a hundred pounds of meat in my pack at this point. And uh, it's, you know, like trees crisscross falling on the ground everywhere. Like if you take a fall, like even if you just fall down, you're gonna fall 30 yards. That's how steep the terrain was. And, if, and with 100 plus pounds in your back, that's like a like that's a recipe for a broken leg that exactly. fast. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've got to use I've got balance issues from like traumatic brain injury stuff. So like I, I got to use like trekking poles when I walk on steep terrains to get like vertigo. Mm-hmm. And it's I fall down a lot. So you know I've been falling down all day basically and. Um, I was like, all right, we're going to, we're just going to make like a survival bivy camp here, get warmed up and finish getting this meat out in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. So I gave him, this is where like that bivy sack would have been really nice though, that I traded for a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent decision. Cause it was cold as shit that night, man. So I basically I spooned him, you know, like I put him in the, the other bivy sack. He stayed warm all night which was good like i've got these really awesome battery powered gloves from or for him but we went oh, nice. both sets of batteries just keeping his hand warm. it's weird because it can be like you know like in the 50s and his hands will go numb yeah oh, wow. um, 
So, so that was my main priority was just keeping him safe. And uh, then I gave him the other meal <laughs> so he could stay warm. And uh, we, uh, we didn't take a lot of water up there either because of the snow. So we, we melted a lot of water for snow. I probably, you know, we probably drank, I mean, I think I drank like six quarts that day. And a lot of it was just from when we would stop, I would melt snow. That's a lot of consumption on a, on a, on a, on a, in a day on a trip. Yeah, that is. That's a lot of consumption. Yeah. I mean, I was pulling max power. If you got the opportunity, you might as well drink it, you know, might as well do it. Cody was in four low that day. (laughs) All day. And the next two days. (laughs) Yeah. The recovery, that recovery time takes a little bit longer these days. Oh man, it does. So we, we got down, it took us a few hours to get out the, the next morning. And, um, I was, he was just, he was wrecked, man. Like he's, you know, student athlete, he's in killer shape, but I could tell he was just, he was done, uh, physically, you know, like he could, he could barely walk, you know, like every time he'd like squat down, his legs are cramping up. And uh, it was just such a phenomenally hard hunt. So I made the decision just to drive him home and then drove back that afternoon and uh, went up the next day. And uh, unfortunately, some freaking bears got into the to the carcass. So I was only able to get one more quarter. And I, you know, there's a couple of things that I did. Like I made some decisions on the ground and, you know, like talked to other hunters and, you know, they tell me the way that they do it. So when we got to the elk that he shot, there were already foxes there, which was, I was like, okay, so while we're, you know, trying to drag this elk down the hill and while we're getting the back straps out and everything, there's like, I mean, I'm talking like within like five feet of me. So we're wow. throwing like snowballs and rocks at them to try to wow. get them off, get them out of there. And so I was like, man, if I take these quarters off, these things are just going to get it. So I took the, the one quarter of the back straps and I left the other ones on figuring that the hide would protect it. And it did. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get one more quarter off of it, but man, it was, um, it was just, I, I felt so bad, you know, like I, I was just like, fuck, you know, this was, this is like hundred percent effort on this thing, man. And, mm-hmm. um, so uh, I, I did leave, uh, you know, I was able to drag it in like where the, it would be shaded all day and in the snow, uh, but that didn't keep the, the bears off of it. When, got, when I got up to it, there was a bear on it. We scared it off. So that side of the, of the elk was just destroyed. Uh, also got into the guts that so smelled like super bad. And so I flipped it over and um, took the, the hind quarter off and, and carried that out. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have another dude up there with me that day. And I did bring the sked back up with full intention to get, I mean, cause we even saved like the hides, like we, we have them tan and make little like projects and stuff out of them. So we used like the whole animal. This was the first, um, you know, like bull that we were, I mean, it was obviously we're, we're going for meat to put meat in the freezer this winter, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was tragic, man. I just felt super bad. And, I actually talked to my friend as a game board and I was like, I don't know if I should go back up there and like, just try to like 
take meat off of it to make like grind for dog food or, or what and he was like no i don't it's all good man we don't expect if you know like predators get into it we don't expect you to like carve out every piece that wasn't you know contaminated by predators mm-hmm. and uh yeah man it was just gnarly dude yeah it's <clears throat> that's a, one of those things that we've we've learned over the years too it's um you know and you and i talked about it it's like we we take the animal completely apart and then hang hang the quarters or i've even left them on logs like like right next to the carcass you put all of the meat and all your primes and everything on the on a log and get the hide off of it and let it cool um elk we typically leave bone in on the quarters just because it's easier to pack it that way because mm-hmm. it you know maintains its shape a little bit better um yeah. but uh and then usually the predators if the, we have walked up on some elk carcasses where there's bears on them but they like the carcass um, and they want to get after the guts first you know and so that usually like you can have you know 300 freaking pounds of meat laying on a log all night long and a bear is just like nah, nah i don't want nothing to do with that i want to get the juicy stuff and that's yeah. usually the guts and and so it usually helps you out <clears throat> and i've actually never had shit we've left meat hanging in trees for three four days to come back and get it with horses and it never never had an issue and we have a ton of bears in the country that we hunt in not grizzly bears we black bears but ton of bears there's shit sometimes you see more bears than you do deer so yeah i uh, i think about like what i would do you know differently next time there's obviously a couple of gear things that i would change up um if, I would, you know, make the suggestion if anybody's going into the, like a real wilderness backcountry hunt like this, to take another adult with you, you know, because yeah. getting that meat out was, I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, it was an awesome experience with my, with my son and uh, something I'll cherish forever. But, you know, the, the, the getting the meat part out, like how physically exhausted I was and how, how he was just complete. I mean, he didn't. You know, he didn't go to cross country practice for like a week. So just smoked. Yeah. And he's still like, he's still recovering. I'm still recovering from it too. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was, you know, there, you have the environmental factors that, you know, wear you out. Um, and really like, you know, it definitely, for me, it wasn't like learning something about myself. It was like getting back into that mode of, you know, like doing the hard, like recon or, you know, just, Com- mountain combat you know like that mindset getting tuned back into it mm-hmm. so i don't say, think i learned anything about myself but i definitely relearned or got re-familiar with those feelings of like you know there's definitely some emotion involved in it you know and then there was like caring for i mean it's it's a lot different you know like when you know you have marines and they're like i'm cold I'm oh, shit. you're like so <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, you know. But <laughs> so am I, motherfucker. <laughs> when it's your kid, and yeah. even though like he doesn't say those kind of things, but I know that he's hurting, you know, yeah. physically. Yeah, he's not gonna say anything to you. Yeah. Unless it's like to the point where it's like, okay, dad, I'm like, this is not cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you told my wife, he's like, at one point I got really scared because dad was laying down. This is like I'm packing out the meat and I'm you know, like blazing the trail down. I just laid down. I started like dry heaving because, dude. Oh I mean, shit! You know, like when you run like a fucking, you know, like really yeah. hard for a long 18 time. Eighteen minute three miles. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
my abs are like all cramped up, you know, and I'm like, I just got to lay here for a minute. And he's like, yeah, I was like super pale and couldn't move. That's <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah, he didn't tell me that, but I mean, I, I knew that he was in that, in that spot where it's his first situation where like, this is something that's really, really hard. Yeah. We're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. But You're not in any serious danger. Um, but it's not going to be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Your first, you know, your first experience, I mean, looking back, maybe that was like the first time, like some of those Marines have been cold or hungry and I'm just looking at them like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, like Suffer. Everybody, everybody's, everybody's cold You're gonna, and hungry. You, you will live. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do about it? Yeah. yeah that's, it, um, those hard pack outs, man, they're always, I've had, I had a pretty good, I had a pretty good one this year too. And and it reminds me that it's just like, Hey, there's going to come a point in time where when we make the decision to go on a solo trip, like I did a solo trip this year and, you know, packing a whole mule deer out, um, with your rifle, um, well over 120, 110 pounds. And you're doing that for like eight miles and going over some really rugged stuff. Like, I look back and I took Cassandra back in to, um, to pick up all of my, like my stashed kit, the two days later. And I just looked at where I recovered that buck from. And like you said, it's just like, you don't think about it until you're in that moment. And then even when you're in the moment, you're like, I I just have to worry about putting my foot here and then putting another foot here until I get down this mountain. But then, you know, in hindsight, you're like, dude, if, if I would have taken a spill, you know, with that kind of weight on my back on that slope with those boulders, basically I was boulder hopping for two hours to get off this giant chute. And, you know, it's like you, you could definitely break your body, like seriously break your bones. You yeah. fall on the snap an ankle like that, you know, and those are things that you don't think about until you're actually in that mo- or after the moment and you're like, oh, okay, I should probably think about that next time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of times, you know, like prior to the hunt where I thought about buying one of those like spot trackers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like where you could send out like the SOS signal if you need yep. it. I have one of those in my, I have that little Garmin, um, the inReach. Yeah. I just take that inReach and stuff it in my bino pouch. So that way it's always, my bino pouch is never off my chest. So, mm-hmm. it, so that's always there and it's tethered to it with a dummy cord. So I'm always going to be able to hit that, that SOS if I need to. Yeah. And so I've got kind of like mixed feelings about it. Um, I think uh, some people um, might get themselves like be overconfident and get themselves totally. into a situation where they know that they have that option to, you know, to you know hit the hit the button and the, mm-hmm. the cavalry is coming. Yeah. And uh, so I've always been really good at making, you know, sound decisions like under stress where I'm like, I'm not going to get myself into a position where I would need to use that. Exactly. Yeah. But this was one of those cases where I was like, I mean, we really wanted to get that meat out that night. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I had, to, it was like, you know, basic leadership decision. Like, no, we're not going to do it because, you know, one, if you fall and get hurt, then I'm on my own at that point to organize uh, a rescue for you. And the chances of me getting hurt, trying to organize that rescue are going to be pretty high because you're my son and I'm committed to fucking making it happen. Yeah. And, um, 
we would have, you know, like it would have broken the the group up. Mm-hmm. And uh, opposite goes like if I would have fallen, now I've got to, you know, count on you to make it down in the dark on these cliffs. Yep. Uh, which, and you're putting him into a dangerous situation that he's never experienced before. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm, it's definitely going to be on the gear list next time. hundred um, percent because it's, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a redundancy. It's a safety measure. There's no cell service back where we were. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we did have, you know, survival gear with us. Like I'm a big fan of the whistle. I think more people have been totally by whistle blast. So like whistle, whistle goes on your right shoulder strap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's things that you can do. Um, I, I think a lot of it kind of boils down to like sound decision-making and, um, at that point, like making movement in the dark with dim headlamps and that kind of terrain just in the condition, the physical condition that we were in, um, wasn't the right decision to keep going. So yeah, made that decision to just bivy up for the night right there. And, I probably should have done the same thing. Like I had, I had a situation, I was like, you know, I could, where I stashed my gear, I had to hike another like two and a half miles up into the the head of this basin where the deer was at. And then another thousand feet from the bottom of the basement to where like he was bedded at. And what I should have done was just taken all of that, all I should have taken a whole deer. There's a bunch of timber in the bottom of the basin where a lot of horse camps are. There's water. The temperatures were down in the forties at night. What I should have done was taken the meat, hung it in the trees, grabbed my gear, spent the night and chilled right at the, at the bot at the head of the basin, gotten a night of rest and then rucked up the next day. And, you know, with a full steam, with a full tank, go out, take your time. So that way you're not just blasting yourself. But yeah. I did the same thing, man. I got into my brain. I was like, Nope. All right. Fucking meat's done. I got to get out. It's time to go. Like we get out. We're going to like, I want to get that meat in a cooler. I want to get it to the to, to a place where I know that it's taken care of. Cause I put so much effort into making this happen, but you know, just, again, it comes with experience. And if I ever do that particular trip again, and I ever harvest a deer in that location again, there's a huge possibility that I will, cause that's where they like to be. I'll do that next time. You know, I'll just, I'll spend a night and I know I'm not going to worry about me. I mean, if you're over, if it's below 50 degrees and you, the bone is out of the meat and you can get it hung down by like a Creek, where it's nice and cool, that means fine. It's totally fine. It's not going to, there's nothing wrong with it Yeah. for a couple of days. Yeah, man. That's, uh, that's definitely what I'll do next time is, um, spend, uh, I'm not going to count on trying to make it out the same day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that adds a little bit, that adds a few more items to the gear list, but I think, um, if I would have, done like you said even like shuttled i mean i was you know it was a, a, a 50 foot climb out of that chute to get even to a tree to hang it in. oh right yeah yeah you know what i've also done cody is um uh one year i shot a deer on opening morning um in september and there's four of us in the camp we all had tags and i shot my deer like 7 30 in the morning on my opener and we were camped next to a giant snowfield, oh. and so it was just like there's a fucking refrigerator right there. So we dug a hole five feet down in the snow, um, a, a hole for each individual meat bag and stuffed the meat into each of those holes and, and covered it with snow. And dude, that shit was frozen 
by the time we stayed in there for five days and then we just, we packed it out on the last day that we were in. And so it it kept it perfect instead of having to go all the way down to the truck and all the way back home and all the way back up. Cause you don't want to leave your boys. You're there. They're helping you. So you want to help them too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely think like having a a third person on that would have been, would have been, you would have, we would have done a lot better. Um, Yeah. That's one thing like Luke is always like, Hey, if you have an elk tag and I'm going to help you with that elk tag, you need to have horses on standby. Like you got to already have a packer ready to go. Cause, cause I'm not going to, yeah. It's one thing to pack elk, like, you know, a couple, three miles to like where a horse can get to get to the meat on a trail. And it all depends on the skill of the, of the horse or the horses or the pack animals of the packer. Like sometimes they'll just walk you'll be like, Oh, no, nah, man, you don't got to bring it all the way up there. I'll go, I'll go down there. My animals are good. You're like, holy shit, dude. And it'll walk them right to it. But yeah. some guys are like, nah, man, no, no, no. I want that up there and I'm not going to risk it. So shit happens. There's no getting horses to where we were. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> that's sometimes great. it just doesn't work. Yeah. I think like pack goats would have been awesome, but I don't know if you can have them out there. With their oh, stuff. really? <clears throat> Is there regulations? Yeah. And I got to do some more research on it. Cause you know, one time I was planning on buying some pack goats for that sniper course that I worked <clears> at for a mountain phase, but yeah, uh, we just couldn't fit in the schedule, but well, I think pack goats would have been, would have been pretty clutch. If I had yeah. Goats, I could have got the whole elk out. For sure, man. For sure. We actually, Luke and I talked about, uh, llamas or yeah, alpacas. Llamas. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of guys, cause we still like to can fit a llama in a Tacoma though. <laughs> I don't know. Can you fit four goats in a Tacoma? <laughs> I can't in my little trailer. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, when we looked it up, I mean, you know, like tack for tack for four llamas is, you know, going to be, it's going to be expensive to get them all tacked up and, you know, all this stuff, but it's definitely worth it because it gives you the ability now to extend your range, mm-hmm. you know, reliably and safely. Um, and, and like you said, like somebody with 20% on their back can carry that thing forever. Just imagine like just being able to carry your rifle in a bino and a set of binos, you oh, know, yeah. leading. Way more comfortable. Oh my gosh. You can go if there's no place you can't go. Yeah, for sure. So, especially with a critter that's capable of like climbing the steeps and hopping rocks and doing stuff like that. So, so you got a doe tag left, Phil, you got, do you have, do you have anything? I have a deer tag. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, weather's coming in this week. Um, I'm going to probably help clay out Saturday with his wife's tag again. And nice. then we're going to shoot for a Sunday, Monday day hunt early nice. morning, try to catch him on the migration. Badass. I got a bear tag left and uh, a local elk tag. So yeah, you got a deer tag. Yeah. Cody. Yeah, I got a deer tag. I also got a I got a bow for my birthday, like a, nice. a, a modern bow, <laughs> a compound. Yeah, a compound bow. Nice. So I've been shooting, you know, recurve for like thirty years, and uh, been it's since my shoulders are so jacked up, I've been having like a lot of problems, like accuracy issues, or I'm like you know, I can get like a couple shots off if I warm up that are like you know anywhere from thirty to fifty yards that are on point. But uh, the uh, the kids bought me a compound bow for my birthday this year. The thing is 
wicked. It's, it's pretty awesome. Dude. <laughs> They're like, wicked, dude. I didn't know how to feel about it at first. I was like, insane, man. But, it's modern. Dude, when you can hit like, you know, oh, like yeah. a, a three-inch circle at 60 yards. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> I gave up. I, I gave it up. You know, that's what I started when I started when I moved here. I started bow hunting and um I was super into it. And that's what I killed the first few wash animals here in Washington with. And and I just started shooting, you know, shooting rifles and, um, you know, and, and it was like, well, I should probably shoot rifles because it's directly you know, related to what I do for a living type thing. And actually we're talking, we have a better archery elk season here than we do a rifle season in Washington. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start looking at some new areas on the West side of the state that'll allow us to hunt big bulls every year with bows. And so that's, that's the plan is, um, I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get a bow, um, this winter and I'm going to change it up and start chasing elk with a bow, uh, next year. He, he, he talked about really great things about, again, critical thought, like preparedness. Yeah. Uh, thought processes along, along certain key actions of the hunt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That, uh, I think are important and completely overlooked by, uh, just people that just uh, ha are not experienced with this type of uh, operations, you know, operating, yep. right. Cause, uh, you know, look, Cody brought up a great point. It's like, Hey, like, I know that I'm, I'm able to survive, you know, um, a day without food. I'm not going to die. Right. Yep. Um, because he's pushed his body and, you know, uh, to those limits, uh, you know, through his previous career. Um, whereas, you know, same thing with goat that goes for you and I, uh, but people that are, you know, wanting to get into backcountry that have never tested themselves before. It's like, Hey, like the only way you're going to know what you're capable of is by going Just out and doing go it. Go do it, man. Right? You got to do and it. You, you go out and you start having, you know, two days worth of chow on your back. You're going to realize, well, shit, by the time I got back from the trip, I only had, I had a, a day and a half left. So I really can just only move with a day or a half mm -hmm. a day. And now, just readjust. You know, now yeah, you know, uh, but you don't know until you actually go out there and do it. Yeah. Just, you can read up all the things that you want online about everyone's experiences, but until you actually go execute it yourself, you're not going to know. Yep. For sure. And I, I would say that if uh, you guys are planning on doing your first backcountry hunt, you should definitely take the backcountry hunter course mm -hmm. um, yeah i think i did two or three of those with you when i'm yep. at magpul the only thing that, that that course doesn't do cody is really it's just you know we we, we don't have the time to put an animal in there you know yeah. or or simulate a pack out and be like mm -hmm. hey okay now you got this pile of rocks <laughs> you just got a pile of rocks and it's time to move this shit yeah. and you most know? of the people are suffering by that point you know totally like, hike out anyway you know it's, it's definitely good to be familiar with, with, with how you're going to feel. And yeah, like I was saying, like I, it, it wasn't a new experience for me, but it was definitely something that, you know, having lived a pretty comfortable life for the last couple of years um, that I was like, okay, I remember, I remember this. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about this time of year is that, you know, we get a chance to get back to uh, suffering, like, it's part of who we are, right? It's like, that's part of why I'd go and do these things is it's, it's like, like you said, we live a very, we live extraordinarily comfortable lives yeah. every day. You know, even, even people that are, that are less, less fortunate, you know, you're still living a relatively comfortable life and, and you're not having to live with those conditions, live with mother nature and, 
and just deal with what it is that she deals to you. Um, and you get to have this sense of connectedness to what it means to, for me anyways, it's like a sense of connectedness to, to what it means to be a human when you're out there subjecting yourself to mother nature and all the fury that she has up her sleeve to throw your way. And, um, it's really, for me, that's one of the reasons why I do it. Yeah. I still, uh, I, I still don't have any feeling in my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the last time this happened to me, was, uh, was IOC. It was a winter class at IOC and, uh, it took like two years to get feeling back in my toes. Oh, so, okay. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So yeah, <laughs> we did, uh, we did a winter package, uh, in uh, 29 Palms, one of our, uh, one of our caxes and i mean we got, out there. We, we got sent out it was like december we got sent out with fucking shit and um i mean we were out for probably like five to seven days up on you know doing uh one of those stupid ass mountains out yeah, there that you just right. sit on and like fucking... again and this is early in my marine corps career where like there's like no one's educated you on layering and stuff like that so you just have fucking cotton everything right and i remember coming back from that and i was like I had no feelings in my toes for a good like eight months. And I was like, I don't think this is not, I don't think this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> it does come back though. It's not like, you know, most people be like, Oh, I'm going to see a doctor. I have a feeling in my toes. Well, it'll, it'll grow back. Yeah. It'll grow back. <laughs> Motrin, change your socks. It should buff out. <laughs> yeah, it'll buff out. But yeah, I mean, you know, just things like that where, you know, I remember, you know, I got, when I, I get stationed at uh, Camp Lejeune um, as an infantry officer, I was just like, I was like, yep, still can't feel my toes. You know? <laughs> I'm fucking in Iraq and it's like 200 fucking degrees outside. <laughs> can't feel my toes. Still not feeling my toes from six months ago at yeah. the man school. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, if you guys have an opportunity, man, um, Luke Luke Carrick just put out a really cool video, um, a film, a short film. It's like 20-something minutes long. Um, it's called Dust to Dust. And uh, he's entering entering that in the um, in the Western Hunter Film Festival. And uh, it's really good. I watched it, and um, I watched it with my kid. Um, it's a story about him um, taking a couple uh, – one of his friends on a – they drew an Arizona bull tag down in uh, – nice north of phoenix and uh really cool adventure and um i think it's a great film so if you guys and if you y'all are listening um cruise over to um luke carrick uh his his handle on instagram you can find him at guide right adventures photography and um just check it out it's called dust to dust so if you like it, give him a shout, head over to the Western Hunter Film Festival on the Western Hunter website, get registered to vote and give him a shout. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, he does cool. good stuff, man. Yeah. Super good. I just hunted with Luca a couple weeks of uh, last week. It was good. Yeah. Had a good yeah, time. It like it was fun. Yeah, yeah. he's a guy a stud, man. Yeah, he's he's a mountain man for sure. That's what he lives to do. He took like three months off. He's a he's a um, you know, a handyman, he owns his own business and he's just like, Hey man, I just worked my ass off all summer. And cause he drew an archery tag here in a local unit where you're, you're hunting like an hour away from the house. And, um, he put over 200 miles in on scouting this year and, um, killed a ripper bull on opening morning at like seven 30. That's awesome. You got putting in the work, man. First, first bull that comes in and zaps it. That thing was huge, dude. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So this is what happens when you put your work in, you know what I mean? Like that's how it works. He knows what he's looking for. That's for sure. Yeah. Right on, man. I'm going to go shoot. It's it's windy here. So I'm going to go out and get some shooting in and, and go play, go play around in the wind. Nice. I'm going to go powder my face. Fantastic. (laughs) Sounds like something you do. Sounds like, sounds like fun. <laughs> right on, all right, man. guys. Hey, Cody, it's always a pleasure having you on, man. Yeah, um, thanks for having me, guys. We definitely, uh, I'd love to uh, circle back. There's a, there's a, a something that came up um, that we'll talk offline about, but uh, definitely love to have your input on it. Okay, so cool. uh, everyone that's listening, we appreciate uh, again. Good luck on uh, everyone out there that's trying to fill their tags. Good luck this season, and we will see you guys in the next podcast. You guys know yep. the drill. Keep your face yeah. on the gun. <laughs>